Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton on a day that for both happy and sad reasons is adorned with the color green. We grieve with our Muslim sisters and brothers and so we move the Muslim banner down to our pulpit today. And of course, for those of us of a certain heritage or those who want to be, it is St. Patrick's Day. The Unitarian Church of Edmonton is a liberal, multi-generational religious community. We celebrate a rich mosaic of free-thinking, spiritually questing individuals joined in common support and action. We welcome diversity, including diversity of beliefs from divine believers to humanists to pagans to atheists and agnostics. We believe in the compassion of the human heart, the warmth of community and the pursuit of justice and the search for meaning in our lives. We gather with gratitude this morning on traditional Cree lands that are now part of Treaty 6 territory and shared by many nations. This is a land of immigrants. All of us share the land of many nations. A treaty is an inheritance, a responsibility, and a relationship. So may we remember to be good neighbors to one another, good stewards to our planet, and good ancestors to our children. If you're new here, we invite you to stay afterwards for coffee hour and to get to know us. And if you'd like, our uh, uh, visitor's table is right out back, and you can pick up some great information there, and hopefully you can stop by and say hi to me. And so as we begin our special hour together, I would invite you to quiet your electronic devices so that we can all enjoy the service fully. We begin with a time of contemplation and music as we listen to our prelude.
Come into this place with your whole self, the parts that are raw and exposed, the part that is beaming with joy, the part that is seeking the truth, the new, the possibility. Come into this place. Open your heart, lay down your burden, lift up your hope for something new to happen. Come into this place with fellow travelers on the journey, some faces new and others familiar. And all are welcoming you here, now to this moment. So come, let us worship together. I'd like to invite Elaine Renard to uh, come and light our chalice. Elaine has furnished us with a poster that you might want to take a look at on the way out. I'll be talking about it later on in the sermon a fellow Irish descendant. How often we seek refuge in this sacred flame from the world's trouble and pain. Today, may our lamp light the way for those who know no refuge, that we may open our minds, our hearts, and our mouths to sing, Come, Come, Whoever You Are. Number 188 in your hymn book, it will be our opening hymn this morning. Come, Come, Whoever You Are. think there's anyone in the world who's not aware of the tragedy that happened in New Zealand on Friday. This statement comes from the Canadian Unitarian Council and from the Unitarian Universalist Ministers Association. The world weeps with the news of senseless violence and death and hold in our hearts the victims and families of the New Zealand mosque shootings. Violence of this kind fueled by hatred and fear cannot be allowed to exist. We choose to respond with love and refuse to respond with more violence. In the face of our grief, we pledge ourselves anew to act with compassion, holding true to the inherent worth and dignity of each being. We are moved to respond with kindness and empathy when faced with ignorance and bigotry. Unitarians will show up beside our Muslim colleagues and siblings. We embrace expressions of religion which champion inclusion and cooperation among all faiths. We will continue to work towards a world where our interdependence is manifested through love and justice. 
To demonstrate solidarity and support, we encourage UUs across Canada to participate in vigils in their local communities. I have been searching. I have not yet heard of a vigil that's happening in Edmonton, but we do have the International Day for the Interfaith Ending of Racism. Sorry, I messed that up, Audrey. And that's Wednesday, is it not? Thursday at noon at City Hall. Thursday at noon at City Hall, and I will be one of the speakers. Audrey's one of the organizers. And so we light this candle for the Muslim world and for those who were died and injured and the rest who are very, very frightened or grief-stricken. I'd like to invite our children to come forward and light their chalice. The youth group went up early. They've got lots to do, so, but we do have the children's chalice today. And the children's recessional will be number 1059 in the Teal Hymn Book. May your life be as a song. Thank you. Each Sunday, we take some time to recognize the joys and the concerns that touch our own lives personally. Each week, we'll at least do it as silent candles of care and connection, but today we'll also have time for spoken candles. If you'd like to light a silent candle, I invite you to come forward now. If you want to speak about your candle, hold back for a minute, and I'll invite you up in a moment. I'd like to lead off the spoken portion with the announcement that Jim Logan, longtime member of this congregation, passed away Friday evening at the General Hospital. It was anticipated, but not yet. And he passed away very peacefully and quickly. Uh, the memorial service will be this Friday afternoon here at 2 o'clock. And if you are able to help out with coffee or uh, setting out the snacks or what have you, please let me know after the service and uh, we'll get a roster together. Um, the family is doing fine. So this is for Jim. Just one of the little tidbits is that Jim was actually the president of the congregation when I was called here 21 years ago, 22 years ago. These candles, silent and spoken, remind us that so many things touch our lives, so many things affect how we live, so many things, different things, move us and shape us, and that we all, as we journey together through this life, have an obligation to respect the stories that other people are living. May it be so. Amen. But now let's move on to the next aspect, which is the offering, to take the offering for the work of the church. So 
One of the things that we do in addition to supporting our church community with our offering is we also make monthly commitment beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to outside organizations. This month, it's the International Council of Unitarian Universalists. And there is information in the hall, in the lobby. Uh, a poster is set up uh, talking about what they do and uh, the good works that they are involved in. You're invited to participate now in giving the ushers the offering. If you'd like, you can use the envelopes found inside the cover of your hymn book if you wish to receive a tax receipt for your gift. Please indicate on your envelope your name and address, and we'll make sure you get a tax receipt. Many of our friends do give through monthly withdrawals, and may, you may not see everybody putting something into the plate. Believe me, most people here are donating to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton. We'll now take the offering for the work of the church. Would you please join in the re- receiving of the offering song that's printed in your order of service? Each week we also like to ask a community question and uh, 
This is a chance for you guys to sit, talk to each other, turn your chairs around, ones, twos, fours, tens, whatever you want to do. And since the theme of the service today is the journey to this land, every one of us is an immigrant. Even the First Nations people, though it was very long ago, came to this empty, empty land. So whether you're brand new or someone who has come here generations ago or 50 generations ago, I want to invite you just to share a bit of your story. And since we only have about five minutes for this, even though I know I could share my story for at least two hours, um, remember, give everybody a turn. So I invite you now, share your story of how your family came here. Well, I definitely know that this is one of these mornings where I could have slipped out the back door and gone home early. (laughs) Notice that there's one person, you know, not to be Irish Catholic too much, but there is only one person wearing orange in the room. (laughs) I'd like to invite you, in a spirit of unity, to join in hymn number 159, This Is My Song, in the Gray Hymn Book 159. Every one of us is from immigrant stock. 
Even the First Nations ancestors trekked here from somewhere else at least 12,000 years ago. The one thing that connects all of our forebearers, and in some cases ourselves, if we are new Canadians or about to become Canadians or permanent residents, what connects us is the idea of journey. Every one of us has someone to thank, even if it's ourselves, for finding their way to this most multicultural nation in the world. Now, sometimes the ancestral stories began in hopeful anticipation of starting a new adventure. Many recent immigrants are here because they got a job offer, and that's really cool. But far more of us, especially through history, came fleeing. Fleeing starvation, lack of opportunity, terror, persecution, war. So many who came here were literally running for their lives. Our first people came following food. They migrated following the large mammals across the ancient Beringia land bridge. Though some scientists now think that others arrived by boat from Polynesia. I hadn't heard that. French settlers would follow several thousand years later, landing in the Maritimes, Quebec, and Montreal. And after 1759, it became the English, Scottish, and Irish immigrants who followed the same path to the east and west coasts. And many who settled were British soldiers who were cashiered here after their military service. And we must remember those loyalists who came north after the American Revolutionary War. As many as 30,000 escaped African slaves made it to Canada during the Revolutionary War and then at a much higher rate during the American Civil War traveling the Underground Railroad. Chinese immigrants began arriving during the gold rush. Their numbers swelled with the building of our National Railroad. However, that population was mostly male because a highly racist head tax made it all but impossible to bring wives and families. And from 1885 to 1923, Chinese immigration was banned altogether. Once that law was appealed, however, immigrant numbers swelled with people seeking better lives. The Ukrainians began to arrive in the 1890s, fleeing serfdom in the Austro-Hungarian and later Russian empires. And despite a dark period of forced internment during the First World War, waves more would keep coming once that conflict ended as they fled from Stalinist oppression. Between 1928 and 1971, one million people would begin their Canadian story at Pier 21 in Halifax, now a marvelous museum and a tribute to the immigrant journey. On the West Coast, a few mostly a few thousand mostly Sikh immigrants arrived despite severe restrictions early in the 20th century. These prejudicial limits were strengthened, virtually cutting off immigration from India until the mid-1960s, including the famous ship that was turned away. But in the mid-1960s, Canada began to develop an appreciation and create a culture of multiculturalism, and so restrictions were relaxed. Indo-Canadian members exploded with some 30,000 now becoming citizens every year. And in the last 40 years, we've seen influxes from the Caribbean, South and Central America, Vietnam, Bosnia and Serbia, Syria, Somalia, and other African nations 
most arriving as war or economic refugees. And despite the promises of liberals in the United States, eh, there's only been a small increase during the Bush and Trump administrations. When I see the hateful attack on mosques and other targeted immigrant communities by deranged shooters, I am appalled. So often they claim that somehow these newcomers are interlopers into our land. How dare they claim this as our land and you're an interloper? How could these lunatics and hate groups that feed them have so forgotten our history and even their own roots? Canada is a land of immigrants. It's just that some made the journey earlier than others. Yes, there are substantial periods of hateful, racist immigration policies that hang like terrible shadows over our Canadian history. And it's undeniably true that every new wave of immigrants has been met with suspicion and hostility by those who are already there. And yes, there is the disgraceful treatment of the colonizers afforded to First Nations people who did, after all, get here first. I don't deny any of that negative side of our Canadian story. I am ashamed of it. But here we are. The people who committed the immigrant journey faced and mostly beat the odds, and they stayed. And a good many have thrived over the generations, making this a pretty cool country to live in. This country, with its many, many nations and heritages and ethnicities and religions, exists because brave and often desperate people left everything behind to try and build a new life here. And each new group has contributed to this land. Here's my favorite example about how diverse Canada is. What qualifies as Canadian cuisine? Bannock, maple syrup, Saskatoon berry jam, bacon, pierogies, however you choose to spell it, cabbage rolls, poutine, roast beef, lamb, ginger beef, salmon, pemmican, bison burgers, German sausage and schnitzel, Italian pasta and pizza, Vietnamese pho soup, butter chicken, kebabs, hummus and pita, bloody Caesars, and Irish stew. Butter turds and Nanaimo bars. <laughs> it's also true, I'll just stick in a side note about our Unitarian heritage. The first congregations in Canada were founded by English, Scottish, and American immigrants in Montreal and Toronto. And I love to tell the story about the Unitarian Church of Montreal founded in 1836 where those English, Scottish, and American immigrants kind of still distrusted each other. So when it came time to hire their first minister, they got an Irishman. (laughs) Icelanders founded our churches in Manitoba, uh, and people from all over have made the journey. And in some ways, becoming a Unitarian, there are not that many birthright Unitarians in any given congregation. We each journey here, sometimes from another religious background, some from none. But in a way, this is a church of religious immigrants as well, who find their welcome here and extend it to other newcomers. Now, my roots are Irish completely and totally, 
And that's why I'm talking about the immigrant journey on March the 17th. Well, to be fair, I do have one great-grandmother who was an American citizen, but she'd been born in Ireland. Such a pure heritage makes me actually very unique these days in Canada. There aren't very many people left who can claim one single lineage like that. And while I'm proud of it, I'm also proud that I live in a country where I'm the weirdo. Shut up, honey. (laughs) Not surprisingly, the story of the Irish is the one I know the best. Like many Chinese, our first Irish immigrants were brought over to build railroads, but only in eastern Canada. My own family's journey span a century. My great-great-grandfather, Daniel Kiley, left County Tipperary as a young man about 1832, making his way to the port of Cork, which is where most Irish people, was the last, the last site most Irish people had before they came here. He landed in Quebec City, but he was one of the early arrivals in 1832. He was about 14 or 15 years ahead of the Great Famine that really opened the floodgates. And we have no record of why he came, but we do know that the family very likely threw a wake for him before his ship left the docks at County Cork. They did that in Ireland. They mourned for the ones who were leaving for the new world. You see, they knew that few would ever return. And in an age when many peasants, including my great-grandfather, could not write, the last farewell was probably the last time they would hear any news of their loved one. How many of us in this room can imagine what the separation must have been like? How many tears? How many quiet fatherly pats on the shoulder? How much self-doubt there must have been in the one leaving? How difficult it was for the ones left behind? Maybe the decision to go provoked anger or feelings of betrayal. I think we can only surmise that it was a decision seldom taken lightly. The family disruption was often a terrible, terrible thing. So whatever the hopes for life in an unknown land might have been, however necessary the act of leave-taking might have been, immigrating must have been a somber and gut-wrenching thing indeed. We really don't know anything about Daniel except that he landed in Quebec and that he eventually found work walking the horses that towed the cargo-laden bateau ships up and down the St. Lawrence River from Quebec to Montreal. In time, his son Martin would form a partnership with another Irish immigrant named Timothy Martin. They started a small cartage company in the Irish slums of Montreal down by the docks and the Lachine Canal, and Mart's son would marry Tim's daughter. They became my grandparents. Now, my mother, by contrast, was an immigrant in her own right nearly a century later, arriving in 1923 at the age of 12, and she was a religious refugee, fleeing persecution. You see, her dad, Thomas Gibbons, was a Catholic. He was a master baker, a senior management person at the Rock Road Bakery in Londonderry, now part of the six counties of Northern Ireland. 
After the failed Easter uprising by the IRA in 1916, there was a furious pushback from the Protestant Orange Order. It was most intense in the North, where the Protestants dominated. And by 1920, the Order had discovered that my grandfather was a Catholic. His place as a manager in a major bakery could not be tolerated. So with deep regret, his bosses were forced to fire him. With no prospects, Thomas and his wife Agnes decided that immigration was the only route, but there was a problem. There wasn't enough money to transport the large family. There were nine girls in that household. So Thomas had to sail alone and establish life in Canada. Meanwhile, the ones who were left behind, this is like a scene out of Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, if you know that film. My grandmother Agnes had to let the house down by the docks as a boarding house. And so the nine girls were given a single room in the attic with a very solid lock on the door to protect them from the roughnecks down below. For a year, this slight man, Thomas, worked repairing road track for the railroad track for the Grand Trunk. But finally, he found a place in Palm Bakeries. And then in another year, he'd worked his way up to a managerial position and finally sent for his family. And so the rest of my ancestors arrived. Now, those family stories are precious to me, but they're not unique in any way. I'm sure that during the community question, I know many of you shared bits of the stories of how your family came to reside in Canada. Some were likely benign. Some were probably far more harrowing. And I suppose the point of this sermon, beyond an Irishman telling stories on St. Patrick's Day, is to offer a gentle reminder that we all came from somewhere else. No one really owns this country. No one really gets to decide that their group will dominate. Perhaps it wasn't this generation, but we all came from somewhere else. And the claiming of pride of place because we have been here longer than others is pure silliness. And a good many of you who know your family stories know that immigrating to this land was never easy. The leaving behind might have been hard because those left or perhaps the struggle to get on board a ship or a plane before being starved or being killed in a war. And your story probably includes how hard the new beginning was. Elaine Renard's poster, I invite you to check this out at the back of the church, it's wonderful tells of how her forebears came with a promise of 70 randomly chosen acres in Ontario and a wagon load of basic farm implements and seed. And from then on, they had a year, including the winter months, that was unlike anything they had ever experienced in their lives, to clear the land, build a house, and start cultivating the land. Can we even begin to visualize how difficult that must have been? Many didn't survive. Then there were those who had it worse, journeying for how long, carrying little more than the clothes on their backs like our Syrian refugee family, or even the previous generations like the Irish where they disappeared into urban ghettos, suffering prejudice and hatred, often exploited by earlier arrivals from their own ethnic group, people just struggling to get by any way they could and not even make a better life for themselves, but maybe make a better life for their children or their grandchildren, making sacrifices. And yet here we are, 
here we are. It seems to me that we have gained benefits of this land, benefits that were hard won by those ancestors. And the question every Canadian faces today is do we continue the bullying, the racism, and the group hatred our ancestors faced and, yes, sometimes practiced? Or do we say, no, that's enough. It stops with me. I will not hate the newcomer. In fact, I will make an effort to welcome the newcomer anytime I can, to try and learn about them and their needs, to overcome my fear of the other and try and learn about them and their needs. I will respect their worth and dignity and their culture as much as I am able, and I will treat them with compassion and generosity. Because that's what I think being Canadian should mean. We are the most multicultural country in the world, and I, for one, see that as a distinct point of pride. To repeat the abuse our forebears faced is to continue a sad pattern. It is the pattern that causes shooting in mosques and defacing of other religious institutions. It's that kind of territorial privileges that dismisses the rights of the original immigrants, our First Nations peoples. It is pure ignorant greed, and we can do better. We can be better, and I think we are better than that. Instead of thanking this land for its bounty and sharing it uh, as it has been shared with us, it's graspingly claiming that this is all mine and you can't have any. Are we that childish? Are we that selfish? I think not. Each of us owes a debt to the those who risked the journey to this land. And we have so benefited from how they struggled that we need to thank them by extending the welcome to those who are still making the journey or will make it in the future. Amen. I'd like to invite you into a time of silent meditation followed by a piece of music. This piece by Teresa Soto and Tracy Bleakney is called Welcoming the Stranger. The child journeys far from home, fearful and brave in need of safe harbor. Guided by our chalice, may we seek to understand the causes of their flight. Like the comfort of a candle flickering in the window of darkness, let us welcome this child into our home with warmth, nourishment, and love. Would we not want the same for our own child, lost and alone in a strange land? Let us enter the silence together.
You'll find our closing hymn in the Teal Hymn Book, number 1064, Blue Boat Home. 1064. chalice is extinguished, but its light lives on in the minds and the hearts and the souls of each one of you. So carry it with you when you leave this place and share it with those you know, with those you love, and most especially with those whose journeys you are about to meet. 
We'll invite you to sing Carry the Flame and then have a seat and we'll have a few announcements.